So my message tonight is called Confronting Uncomfortable Truths. And I was thinking about that this week and thinking about how um, you know, we, we place this kind of importance on uh, senior leaders, particularly in ministry, as being these people that know all the stuff and, and it just gets imparted and people absorb it. Um, but I think questioning is really important and questioning and inquiry is so healthy. Um, and I've kind of been trying to question everything that I think about everything lately because I, I just think it's important sometimes to understand where we're coming from and why it is that we believe what we believe. You know, questioning is, is central to uh, human and societal advancement. You know, if someone didn't think to roast a coffee bean at some point and then grind that bean and then express it through really hot water, my life would be so much less complete. You know, questioning and inquiry helps us to grow. Questioning and inquiry helps us to discover. Um, you know, asking questions is an essential aspect of the development of society and community and kind of exploring our place in that society and that community. Um, but I was also thinking about kind of the converse of that when questioning is dangerous. Um, and I subscribe to Amnesty International newsletters and, and a few others. Uh, and it's often the case that depending on the questions that you're asking and depending on who you're asking those questions of, um, you can get into a lot of trouble. You, you know, it's, sometimes questioning is a life and death scenario. Um, you know, if your questions and your inquiry threaten or are perceived to threaten people in power, uh, people in authority, if your questions uh, are of really kind of established foundational institutions, whatever they look like, whatever form they come in, uh, then in many countries and in many contexts, it can very much be this kind of life and death situation. You know, threatening, uh, questioning threatens the status quo. And um, because questioning threatens the status quo, then it goes without saying that power and control is kind of questioned as well, because power and control requires that the status quo is kind of maintained. So I was thinking about all that, and, and then I kind of began to extrapolate that and was kind of thinking about, and I was picking up a bit on a conversation that, that Kevin kind of, we were having last week around how a lot of what we take for granted uh, is pretty much just a construct. Like, we just made it up. Like, we just decided, for example, that our system of economics, even though it's evolved and changed over a period of time, um, is what it is. But our system of economics is, is not an immutable law. Like, it's not gravity. Um, it, 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 it's made up by human beings. And, and um, it's made up by human beings as a solution to a perceived problem. And so, at best, our system of economics is, I guess, maybe a social science, um, which we could if we wanted to or had to change at any point in time. You know, we could decide, for example, to continue with the coffee theme, that, that coffee beans are the new currency. And we could deem that current currency is no longer has any value. You know, we place value on something that's called a $10 note. We've decided that is worth $10. Now, I get that it's not that simple. You know, I, I get that it's not as easy as just deciding something, but it's actually not impossible. 
It's not impossible that we could reimagine commerce. It's not impossible that we could reimagine the economy. And so we construct systems to kind of bring order and to bring control and to make sense of the world around us. Um, but what then happens often is that those systems then kind of begin to control us and we kind of become slave to those systems. And so a further part of the challenge is that um, we are constrained and limited and flawed beings. And consequently, as constrained and limited and flawed beings, we create constrained and limited and flawed systems. Our, our perspective is limited. Our worldview is limited. So what happens is that flawed beings create flawed systems and then interpret those systems through their own filter and their own perspective and their own worldview. But even though we kind of know this, we often insist that those systems are the only and the best way to do things. Welcome to humanity. So today's scripture reading uh, comes from the first epistle of John, chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. And, and it kind of focuses a fair bit on flawed perspectives. And it does that through the repeated use of a particular word. And that word in the English translation is sin. Now, uh, I'm not going to go into the depths of sin here, but sin, in my opinion, at the very least, uh, having given that disclaimer up front that I'm not an expert in anything, um, is a word that is often misused, often abused, and often misunderstood, especially in relation to its original context. So the word in the Greek text uh, that we translate as sin is harmatia. Now, harmatia in the Greek, uh, and also the Hebrew equivalent, means to miss the mark, basically. It means uh, to fall short of an objective. And one of the first uses of harmatia was by Aristotle. And so Aristotle uh, used it uh, throughout his writings, throughout his plays and, and poetics, and um, he used it quite widely to describe how, as human beings, we're tragically flawed and how, consequently, we often reach a destination that's different to the one that we often intended. So we start out on this path, we make an error of judgment or things go wrong, and we end up in a completely different spot. That's kind of basically how he was using that word. He also kind of used it to describe uh, an error of discernment or judgment due to ignorance. And so uh, this ignorance often in his writing was, was sometimes even just due to a lack of essential kind of information. So the, the protagonist doesn't know something that would have been really important to him getting to his destination, often to him. And uh, he doesn't know that, so he doesn't get there, he ends up somewhere else. So that's kind of how he uses that word, harmatia. So miss the mark, fall short of an objective, uh, poor judgment due to ignorance. Now, this is kind of not how we always apply or understand the word sin in, in a theological context. And so I'm going to read 1 John 3, 1 to 7, and I'm going to do something that's potentially uh, very bad, but uh, I'm, this isn't the bad bit. I'm going to read from the message translation. But I'm also going to replace the word sin in each instance of its use with a phrase that is closer, in my opinion, to its original and intended meaning. So this is uh, 1 John 3, 1 to 7, with the message translation and Aleem's own influences. What marvellous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We're called children of God. 
That's who we really are. But that's also why the world doesn't recognise us or take us seriously because it has no idea who he is or what he's up to. But friends, that's exactly who we are, children of God. And that's only the beginning. Who knows how we'll end up? What we know is that when Christ is openly revealed, we'll see him and in seeing him become like him. All of us who look forward to his coming stay ready with the glistening purity of Jesus' life as a model for our own. This is where I start to mix it up a little bit. All who indulge in a life of ignorance and poor judgment are dangerously lawless for arriving at the wrong destination is a major disruption of God's order. Surely you know that Christ showed up in order to get rid of willful ignorance. There is no ignorance in him and falling short of the mark is not part of his program. No one who lives deeply in Christ makes a practice of missing the mark. None of those who do practice willful ignorance have taken a good look at Christ. They've got him all backward. So my dear children, don't let anyone divert you from the truth. It's the person who acts right who is right, just as we see it lived out in our righteous Messiah. So deliberate or willful ignorance essentially is the practice of refusing to consider or discuss logic or evidence or reason that might disprove an ideologically motivated position. That's basically what willful ignorance is. It's, it's kind of akin or related to confirmation bias, which is basically the tendency uh, to kind of search for or interpret uh, or favour uh, or recall information in a way that essentially confirms one's pre-existing beliefs or hypotheses. And so such ignorance is both a tragic flaw in the human condition, but it's really also the definition of the word that we translate as sin. Emma Roller writes in the New York Times, the strongest bias in contemporary politics is not a liberal bias or a conservative bias, it is a confirmation bias, or the urge to believe only things that confirm what you already believe to be true. And so what we're seeing in an audience or consumer-driven media environment, whether that's on Facebook or on any kind of major media or news platform is in many ways a news coverage that conforms to a specific worldview. And if you don't like the worldview of one media outlet, then the good news in a consumer-driven media environment is that there's enough choice out there to go and find the coverage that matches your own notion of what is important and what is true. And because we have this kind of audience and consumer-driven media environment, uh, media companies are now increasingly very much at risk of working to meet the demands of the largest segment of their audience. But they already know what people think. They already know what people value. We've seen that recently with kind of the, the Facebook uh, playing out in the Senate in the US, um, uh, the conversations there. And so there's this risk now that uh, media outlets essentially offer people news that fits their political biases, because they will buy that, they will pay for that, they will click on that. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that we end up with fake news, but I think it certainly means that we end up with filtered and kind of shaped news, which is good for business, it's good for people's sense of how they think the world works, but it's kind of not so good for breaking down ideologies and it's not so good for coming to some sense of shared values and some kind of common discourse. 
And so I think we need to be willing to ask and consider hard questions. I think we need to be willing to confront uncomfortable truths. And so the author of the first epistle of John kind of opens with this statement that the world doesn't recognise Christians because it doesn't recognise or know Christ. I wonder if that's so much the case these days. I wonder if that's so much the case in today's society. I think it's kind of this convenient narrative that many Christians in Western society hold on to. But, but when, we, when the first epistle of John was written, Christians were the minority, out and out minority. They were excluded, they were persecuted, they were marginalised. Um, but we're in a context now in Western society uh, with so-called Christian Judeo values where they form the dominant culture. And, and so I kind of wonder if the world doesn't recognise us then maybe the world doesn't recognise us because it doesn't recognise Christ in us. Jesus says that we'll be known by our love. And so maybe we're not recognised because there is a lack of love in our own lives. Tim Tim Keller, who I kind of have this strange relationship with that he doesn't know about, but um, he increasingly says stuff that I just... uh, completely agree with. I don't think that's confirmation bias. Maybe it absolutely is, actually. I'm just going to name it. So he poses and he answers this rhetorical question. And the rhetorical question that he poses is, how do you know you've really been born again? And this is the answer that he gives. You care about the poor. When you see people without resources, your heart goes out to them. If it doesn't, maybe you're saved, but you're clearly lacking the evidence of salvation. Justification leads to justice. Justice is the sign of justification. It's all through the Bible. When the world sees the church doing justice, then the world will get interested in justification. I find that to be a really kind of powerful and challenging quote. When the world sees the church doing justice, then the world will get interested in justification. And so I've really been kind of challenging myself of late to be willing to confront uncomfortable truths. And some of the uncomfortable truths that I've been confronting in my own life relate to biases, they relate to ignorance, they they relate to intended destinations. And one of those destinations um, relates very much to found. One of those destinations relates to how it is that I see in my head and and my thinking uh, the Christian community should function, how I see the Christian community should coexist and, and relate and impact the world around us. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having a destination in mind. It's what brought me uh, on this journey. It's what brought all you beautiful people into my life. Um, but I think that there is still a danger in that. I think the danger is, is ignorance through the course of pursuing an objective or a goal or a destination can still cause us to miss the mark. Um, and so... We need to be careful that we're not so focused on the end goal uh, that we overlook the process and we overlook the journey. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community even though their personal intentions are ever so honest, earnest and sacrificial. And so... um, This is kind of something that I've been confronting in myself. I have to be willing to acknowledge that in the pursuit of what I perceive to be the end goal, in the pursuit 
of what I perceive to be genuine Christian community, I'm actually at risk of loving the destination kind of more than the people on the journey. And that is sin. That's the definition of sin. When we're so focused on where we think we need to get to, what we need to achieve, or our own ideology, that we actually miss or ignore the people for whom that destination or whom that goal exists. And what happens then is that we truly miss the mark. And so my prayer for this week is that wouldn't be the case. That, that's my prayer. My prayer for this week is that I would love this community. My, my prayer for this week is that I would love my neighbours, I would love my enemies, and that I would love them more uh, than my vision or my hoped destination for them. My prayer for this week is, is that I would be willing to go on the journey, that we would be willing to go on the journey together, that we don't race ahead, that we don't go, oh, this is where we want to be, let's just get there. Um, and in the process, uh, leave people behind. Yeah, there's constantly a danger with vision that you can leave people behind. And so my prayer is that we don't race ahead, that uh, we carry people who need to be carried when they need to be carried, that we, that we sit with people who, who just need someone to listen to them, that we would continually uh, point people to the way of Jesus, which is the way of peace and the way of restoration. Amen. Amen.